0: Good morning once again. The current time is now 9 a.m. on the nose on this Wednesday, the 4th of November. And welcome to Community Pulse, your locally produced uh, program on the coronavirus pandemic here in mid-Missouri. As a reminder of our production schedule, you can catch Community Pulse live right here on KOPN Mondays and Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 9.30 a.m., Backdated episodes are then uploaded to our website, KOPN.org, also our Facebook profile, and you can find them on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, On the topic of uh, backdated episodes, we have a wonderful guest with us. Uh, Once again, joining us is Councilman Mike Trapp. If you want to check out some of the previous episodes in which he discussed car camp amid the early coronavirus pandemic, that is highly recommended. Councilman Trapp, thank you so much for making time and coming back to speak with us.
1: Hey, happy to be here.
2: Thank you, Councilman Mike Trapp, for joining me today. Um, Wow, so much is spinning in my head, and I'm sure yours, too. You know, while we still don't know what's happening at the federal level, as far as the president, the Senate, or the House, although some people will say the House is pretty secure, um, there's so much going on here at the local level as well. So for our listeners, um, there was... For those of us who are paying attention, I think we're definitely sleep-deprived, and for those of us who might, <laughs> might not, um, you know, a lot of times we get local levels of government confused. So last night on the ballot, was there anything related to the city?
1: Uh, nothing on the city. We, our elections are generally in the spring. Sometimes mm-hmm. we'll bring a initiative um, or a tax or rate increase forward in November, but November's Um, all the levels of government except us.
2: And while, you know, there was nothing on the ballot, a lot of things on the ballot will have direct impact to the city, of course. And so when we're looking at COVID-19 and what's going on in Missouri, just to give people the numbers, uh, Matthew Holloway is reporting over 200,000 coronavirus cases now, so 2,000. 201,614 cases with yesterday identifying over 3,000 cases of COVID 19 diagnosed in the state. So we are now averaging um, about 2,700 cases per day, which, you know, I, I'm just shocked to say over 2,000, and now we're at 2,700 on a seven day average. We had 51 deaths in the state of Missouri, so um, to an hour, in our death right now is averaging 35 deaths per day. Um, so we know that COVID-19, whether we're fatigued and the um, election was supposed to make it go away or not, is very much still here in our state. And when we look at the county, Boone County Health Department reported 82 cases of COVID-19 yesterday with one additional death, so now 17 deaths. And the individual that passed away was in the 80-plus age group. So Councilmember Trapp, just give our listeners an idea of perspective of when we're looking at this virus and what's happening within the 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 county and the city, what do you think were some of the most critical outcomes yesterday? Um, you know, I think we're a very divided country. Um, COVID-19 was very much a part of this election. What do you see came out for Boone County last night?
1: Um, <clears throat> largely uh, the, the the status quo. Um, The overall trend is most of the people who have been in decision-making power were um, returned to office. Um, The biggest change um, that's immediately impactful is Fred Perry was defeated for the um, Southern Boone County um, Commission District seat, and he'll be replaced by Justin Aldred. And that is going to have um, big impacts with how CARE funds um, get administered. And um, I don't think, you know, it, it, Fred did a lot of rhetoric and challenged the county health orders um, publicly, but, you know, he voted to approve them all. And mm-hmm. so I don't think there'll be big changes on the policy front because all of us at the city and county defer to um stephanie browning and scott Clardy and the rest of the team at the health department as the real public health experts but it will change the rhetoric and the distraction that um commissioner perry brought to you know by flagrantly breaking the mask ordinance and um, coordinating the meeting that resulted in a, a lawsuit against the county. Um, you know, it's it, it's there's some messaging stuff that has been cloudy at the local government level because of Mr. Perry, and that will be eliminated because um, um, Justin Aldridge is a uh, big believer in science-based public health decisions, um, has been diligent in his own mask-wearing, ran a very safe campaign. Um, you know, did uh, everything everything right. And so I expect that, uh, that that's going to be a good change for our local image.
2: So let's go to the CARES Act, as you mentioned. Um, so we know that Boone County um, received federal dollars through the state to the tune of about $21 million, And so far, much of that still has been yet to be allocated. So, and obviously the city has made a lot of asks I know the Columbia Public School has made ask um, tell our listeners about the CARES Act and and what the city has requested and where you see the priorities for those funding to go uh,
1: yeah that's a that, that's a big issue so from from what I understand there were some disagreements at the county level about how those funds were going to be administered and so they were not quickly um, brought to bear um that um is what i had heard um is that, that that those were disagreements between mr perry uh and and other commissioners about how things should um should be spent so they developed a, a you know a website based application process and all of those funds have to be um expended by the end of the calendar year it created some issues for the city because our fiscal year is not the calendar year but we have primarily been applying for for our additional costs um that in regards to the employee practices that we changed in regards to um covid leave um in regards to ppe and other kind of safety gear and equipment um, there have also been, you know, some Cares Act requests um, to address um, some additional needs. Um, there have been, and, but a lot of those have come through nonprofits. And so, that's for me when I look at how do we address any issue. It's always best to start with the people who have the the most barriers, the least um amount of of capital to address those issues. And if you build a system that addresses the needs of those folks and then you're gonna catch everybody um who, who is who's above that. And so I think um definitely the unsheltered, you know, they're not able to have access to hand washing, accurate information about the disease. There's a you know, a lack of taking it it seriously because their, you know, access to news is is limited. And they also look to kind of thought leaders in their community and in the broader community. And then, you know, some of the right-wing sources, there's been a lot of skepticism about the dangers of the disease, and that has trickled down to the homeless population and led to, um, you know, having some cases. So, and those cases have, have spread in that community. And then that creates problems because people don't have a home to quarantine in. And and I would uh, say,
2: I mean, with the misinformation that is being put out, wouldn't you say that even listening to news might lead the general population to um, misinformation? And, And how do you see a broader picture of the federal and state and county races impacting the misinformation that we know is out there?
1: Uh, Well, like with locally, with uh, uh, Justin Aldrin coming into the county commission, there's going to be a unified um, message that the city's been unified in our our messaging that the virus is something serious, that we need to support our health department to make these um, science and evidence based decisions. And so now the county is going to be unified as well. And so I think that should help to some degree. But there's also difficulties on how to, you know, this pandemic would have been better to be addressed at the federal level and absent of federal um, cohesive messaging and plan than at a state level. And we don't have that. And so we have um, surging use in our hospitals and intensive care units and ventilators um, here in Boone County. But we have a 28 and 25 county. The VA had an 80-county catchment area. And so all of those areas that don't have a mask ordinance, that don't have um, other restrictions on on really the, the spreading. Um, I mean, it's bars and restaurants is where we're seeing a lot of this spread as far as where business restrictions are most necessary. And uh, we don't have those in most of the counties in Missouri, and it's really starting to show up in the numbers. And so, you know, we are outperforming our the rest of our hospital catchment area, but we're still going to – all of us are going to be struggling when we don't have as – Great is access to healthcare services because all of our beds are taken because of a lack of a statewide strategy, and that's where. Um, so Mike, you covered a being lot re-elected. of things
2: right there. Yeah. <laughs> so health department and their needs, hospital capacity, bars and restaurants within. I mean, like, what can we do locally? So let's start with health department needs. You know the we have seen, you know, the pressure that our local health department, which was already underfunded, is under, and Stephanie Browning and her team doing an amazing job stepping up. What have you heard that the health department could use more of? Um, What politics is at play when we consider what the health department is currently doing? Um, and, And where do you stand? What are your thoughts on providing more assistance to the health department?
1: Uh. Well, you know, the health department is funded by more than 50% with grant funding. And so they are scrappy and organized about pulling in additional funds outside of the meager allotment that we're able to make for them out of the the general fund. And so they do a really great job um, of managing what the resources that they have and doing, you know, triage and prioritization. So the big unmet needs is contact tracing and uh, as far as and then and then testing Um, and so as far as contact tracing we've brought in we got some CARES funds we brought in additional contact tracers um, but the city hiring process is, is slow and then also when it comes in surges it becomes difficult because if we had you know if we can get down to I don't know where we're at with I think when we were at 50 cases per day, we could do contacts within 24 hours. Originally, mm-hmm. it was less than that. If we had more than 30 cases a day, then it delayed contact tracing. And we know I we was had
2: ex- 80 cases yesterday. So,
1: I was exposed to a positive case, and I'm currently in quarantine, and it was three days before I was contacted. And the individual... Mm-hmm. Um oh, as an unsheltered individual and and so nobody you know that health department was the first uh sometimes people will get apprised by their contacts that before the contact tracers, but that did not happen to me. I had to rely on the on the system, and i you know so I entered quarantine. Um on the evening of day three of my quarantine, because I didn't know where in a in a in the best if we were going to manage and contain this virus, then I would have had contact within twenty four hours that's um the gold standard, and we're not able to meet that uh, when we have the case numbers so the strategy has been to try to bring those case numbers down because when you know, it's hard to bring on staff when most of the time we have adequate contact tracing and then we get surges and then we don't. And then um, because, you know, even temporary positions, um, you know, we're, we're still working on that nimbleness to be able to... Um, you know, bring on resources quickly when they're needed and then being able to find them productive activities um, when when they're not, you know, early well, on. We know we, right
2: now, we're not even providing like cessation services um, for Boone County citizens. So, like, we know that we're not doing things that we d- did before the pandemic because those staff members are being pulled into contact tracing. So yeah.
1: um, early on, we pretty much dropped everything except contact mm-hmm. um, tracing. And then as you know, as we got a better handle on numbers, we brought on additional contact tracers. Um, we were able to get back to providing some, you know, support, medication support, um, the the other kind of social work, direct services, um, you know, flu vaccinations. Um, you know, we also, the you know, the health department's been tasked with, um, creating this, um, uh, unarmed crisis response unit, um, that we budgeted money for in response to, um, the protests about policing so that we could relieve the the load on the police and have, um, you know, a a more robust crisis response team. Um, but the same folks who are managing the pandemic are the same folks who we are asking to, um, to bring forward this new program. So that's going to be, so the pandemic impacts everything because ordinarily, you know, staff would design the program and then hire, and then staff it out. The way we'll have to do it is hire a project director and then have them design the program because existing staff don't have the capacity to do that kind of research and program design. So that will slow the implementation of that really critical and necessary um, service.
2: So So do you think at the election last night with um, Fred Perry losing his seat, and, and obviously, as you said, he was voting in support of the public health measures, but he definitely was not proactive in advocating for them. So do you think that the dynamics will change in making sure that that money is available. And as you mentioned, all of the CARES Act funding has to be spent by December 31st of this year. And do you know what portion we've spent so far?
1: Um, I don't. I don't. Uh, I haven't been able to um, stay on top of this. You know, a lot of my Energy and enthusiasm has been spent on our unsheltered population Mm -hmm. and in the absence of a government, an adequate government response, I've done those things through mutual aid and and direct service myself. And so um, even as the community has needed me the most, I'm not at my best as far as, um, fulfilling my duty, direct duties, um, as a city council representative, as far as due diligence and keeping track, I've really had to narrow my focus and do my own kind of triage of, of what's the most important and what's the most need. And then, you know, this is all, you know, all in a context of all of us are dealing with, staying at home and, and, the emotional difficulties that go along with that. And then, you know, being constantly around, um, struggling individuals and the vast difficulties that have increased because as we've had the greatest increase in need for social services, we've had The most difficulty in providing them as as people have to work from home and there's everything has changed and folks have a focus on the pandemic and and other issues have have suffered and everything is a lot more difficult. You can't go to the Social Security office and get a Social Security card. You need documentations to access funding. You have to do things through phones and people don't have phones. Um, And Mike,
2: when you talk about the um, information that you've received, we have a weak mayor in that, you know, he's elected by the city uh, as a whole, but his vote is equal to any other council member. And when we had council member um, Ian Thomas on, he reported that while the mayor has sat in on White House Coronavirus Task Force member calls, um, he, you know, council member Thomas, Specifically, had not been apprised um, when you know there was conversations between you know Mayor Treese maybe and the governor and um, uh, the White House coronavirus task force. Have have you been in those meetings or um, what information do you feel is oh. coming back to council from that?
1: You know, I haven't. And in general, you know, under normal times, the mayor is first amongst equals and all of our votes count the same. And and we've had a largely collaborative approach. But part of the role of mayor is kind of the voice of the city, the face of the city. And so because he's been... um, you know, doing the press conferences and and making those statements, it's been important for him to have access to that information. And because um, ordinarily, you know, I've not been a fan of having a lobbyist as a mayor, but his deep connections with the state um, have really have really um, been helpful. And so I have, uh, you know, I don't think it's any secret to a lot of your listeners that the mayor and I have are not politically close, that we've been, have huge differences in regards to style and policy differences, but I've been really supportive of the mayor's enhanced role during this crisis and have encouraged and supported that because, um, you know, I think, Politics um, should be set aside for the greater good of the community, and Mayor treese has been um, uniquely well suited for managing this um, this uh, issue.
2: You know, he so there's been a lot of recommendations by the coronavirus task force to be put in place at a city and county level that have not been. Um, what are your thoughts on those recommendations, for instance, and, you know, some of these things the city doesn't have control over, um, like the White House Coronavirus Task Force is now recommending that universities test all students prior to leaving for Thanksgiving break, um, that they close all bars and make outdoor eating um, the norm. And, and so I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that.
1: Um, You know, I back the health department decisions. I think we've looked at our own local conditions and Stephanie Browning has gotten a lot of criticism for being overly intrusive in the business community. And then she's also taken a lot of criticism for um, not taking more stringent measures to protect public health. Um, You know, we're fundamentally a tourist town before I ran for city council, I, I, knew that I had thought that the University of Missouri was the economic engine of the city and that we were dependent on on the University of Missouri. But it's really University of Missouri football that's the economic engine. It's Bringing people to town that employ um, a lot of folks, and so we have we're heavily invested in the service industry and those things that would be impacted. And there are real-world impacts that go along with business closures and even the business restrictions that we have. Um, You know, we've seen a a handful of businesses um, go out of business because they're not their their model involved crowding lots of young people together um drinking large amounts of alcohol late at night and the restrictions that we have in place have already closed down some businesses so
2: what about the I am... for families with schools not being in session
1: yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to, you know, you make the best decisions that you can with the information that you have, and you have to strike a balance. I hear Ms. Browning mentioned that. I've mentioned that in other um, kind of appearances. So I think that we have to take on the economic realities of how, um, you know, how our uh, members of our community earn their livelihoods and are able to pay their bills. We don't have the robust social safety net of Canada or European nations. Um, people are left to fend for themselves. And and um, so I think we have to... to you know, to be wary with, with um, how we, how we do those things. And I, I think the balance that we, we struck has, has been appropriate. I think there would be some things that would be better done at the state level, but I think locally. And again, I, I'm also
2: trusting my professionals because they
1: attend all the meetings. They look at all the data um, I'm not privy to all of the information that they have that's going into their decision making. I don't have a particular background in public health. Um, so when I get outside of my own area of expertise, I tend to be deferential towards the experts in those areas. And so um, I extend that deference not to shirk responsibility or to place it upon her. We know we acted on the mask ordinance because um, the health department was looking at that as a political issue and they felt that that decision would be better made by politicians than but for them but now that once we made that decision they've incorporated the mask ordinance into their public health orders and mm-hmm. and that's better because that applies to the city and the county and yeah. so we
2: see that the, the school board right now is under a tremendous amount of pressure politically um right so the um there's a school board meeting on november 9th where they're going to make a decision on what to do currently. And, you Mm -hmm. know, when we think about the school's numbers, um, just to pull them up, we had before said we were looking at this 14-day tracker number to see if we would stay in between 50 and um, 10 or ten and fifty. Um, we currently have four hundred um, students in quarantine fifteen positive. And as the listeners know, we just you know recently opened the elementary schools there are now five positive cases within the elementary school. And then when we look at staff, um, the number of staff in quarantine or isolation now is um, you know well over a hundred staff members that are quarantined or positive with twenty three positive right now. And so, You know, CPS is trying to bring the school back, which I would say is a critical component of the, you know, of the community. And they're unable to do it at this point. Um, So middle school and high school are still uh, uh, online. And um, the current plan is until January 19th. The school board is meeting on November 5th. Um, You know, obviously a lot of political pressure. What are your thoughts, advice? um, things that we can do as a community, um, to help the public school be back in session in person.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of, I don't want to just point to, um, personal responsibility because I think there is a role in, in, in expressing the community's will through, um, ordinance and enforcement actions. Um, but it, but you can only go so far, and with our community, um, you know, existing in the in the state of Missouri, um, there's even further limits about how far we can go as a community. If we get too far out of step with the state, and we risk um, antagonizing the governor and leading to um, a preemption of our you know ability to regulate our own health ordinances so there's a balancing act that has to be walked there i don't envy the school board um their their decisions um... i would remind everybody that it's a volunteer position that people are making their best decisions that if they disagree with those decisions um, you know there's the remedy to that is to run for office and talk about how you would do things differently but to be you know, not I've seen you know reports of um personal attacks and 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 racist remarks that um school board members have have had to undergo because of them doing their best to uh, manage difficult situation uh, on our behalf so um you know, my heart so, goes out to them sometimes we get in the hot seat. Um, but mm-hmm. but they're even more so right now, and it's a really um, trying time for uh for our schools. but I in the last you know, I don't
2: couple minutes I don't have the right? bandwidth
1: to know what they should yeah. do.
2: Yeah, you are not running for reelection in the second one in no. uh, April. Thank you so much for the many years that you have endured this position, as you said, um, it's primarily a voluntary position with the council members making $6,000 a year, um, doesn't even come close to the amount of time, let, let alone even the expenses that a council member takes on personally to do the job. Um, what are your thoughts as you leave?
1: Uh, you know, it's 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 bittersweet. Some of the largest challenges um, you know, have not been fully addressed, you know. Um as a candidate I learned about um the the fundamental um funding, structural funding issue with the city and I've worked hard My entire political life to address that and and haven't been able to um, been able to increase our support for homelessness and been able to tread water as affordable housing becomes um, a lot more scarce and a lot of social pressures that have increased homelessness nationally. And we've been able to hold even. And um, so I'm proud of I've learned a lot. Um, but I also will be glad, um, to be done. It's, uh, personally trying and, um, you know, if you're a feeling person, um, you know, I'm not, uh, thick skinned, I'm not hard hearted. I prefer to be open hearted and, uh, and it's been difficult to, um, what you're expected to have to do, uh. So I'll be, I'll be glad when I'm done, and I'll be uh, limping out of there um, more so than, than walking proudly after my time of service. What we expect um, from our community leaders in Columbia is unreasonable, and, and that, has, that changes on who's willing to do it because of the sacrifice. A lot of qualified people who would bring an important perspective and voice um, can't run because it's just not, something that can go along with a with a lifestyle. So campaigns are too negative. Um, people are, um, you know, when we say things about Trump or Biden, you know, they're big national figures and, and celebrities at some level. But when we talk trash about um, our local elected officials, you know, we run into them in the grocery store and, and they...
2: Last 30 so, seconds?
1: Yeah. So I guess people should be nicer to their elected officials. Be kind to the school board. Whatever they do, um, they're going to disappoint a big portion of the community, but they're going to do their best with it. So thanks for having me on.
2: Councilmember Trapp, as I knew, the 30 minutes flew by. Thank you so much for serving as the second ward. Council representative for these many years, and all of the work you've done, especially to advocate for those who have less of a voice in our community. Um, I appreciate it. And back to you in the studio, KOPN.
0: Thank you very much, Ginny, and uh, thank you also to Councilmember Trapp. That was Public Health Advocate Ginny Chadwick interviewing Councilman uh, Mike Trapp, and that was quite the conversation. If you happen to miss any portion of it, a reminder that you can find the full episode on our website, kopn.org. We will also uh, post it to our Facebook feed, and we are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you'd like to check out all of the Community Pulse episodes that we've produced since the pandemic began in March. As always, thank you so much for listening to your listener-supported and volunteer-operated community radio station. We wish you a pleasant weekend. Coming up next, it is 51%. Do stay safe and stay informed, Colombia. Speak with you again
2: on Monday.